0: Reg Flowers is a New York City-based artist, activist, and educator. Their work is rooted in ancient shamanic, African trickster, and Brazilian joker traditions. Reg uses theater of the oppressed, art of hosting, Navajo peacemaking, and other anti-oppression techniques as the foundation of their theater making, mediation, problem solving, and group healing practices. They are the founder of award-winning Falconworks Theatre Company, which uses popular theater to build capacities for civic engagement and social change. they received broad recognition, numerous awards, and citations for their community service, they are a faculty member at Pace University and a company member of Shakespeare in Detroit. You can find out more about Reg, the program, and other works of Falcon Works at the website falconworkstheater.org, and you can find out more about Reg on Instagram at notoriouspinkdetroit. I met you. Actually, it's not so much how I met you; it's how I corresponded with you before the pandemic. You had put a casting call out or the program, probably on various platforms. I happened to see it on Playbill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was immediately struck by it. I knew, you know, you see things in you as an actor, in New York. You, you submit, maybe you'll get cast, maybe you won't. You don't get hung up on any one audition or anything because there are so many, you're always working on something. This was one I really, really, really wanted. Um, specifically because of the challenge that you presented to people submitting. And that was to answer one of five different uh, what I see now is qualifying questions that you were doing. And I forget what all five of them there were. One of them was with homophobia. One was about white supremacy. I forget what the other three were.
1: There was, um, I, I, I can't recall what they were either at the time, um, but I was really just trying to cast a wide net. The The real focus was, was the white supremacy, internalized racism. Um, I think there was uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome uh, was another one, uh, and I don't remember what the th- so those are three of the five. So I don't remember what the other what the other two are. I think f- homophobia it might have been misogyny.
0: Oh yeah, probably. Uh, what I what is interesting is that if we had if I had seen this, I don't know, like ten years ago. Well, I wasn't an actor then, but like if I were an actor, ten years ago, I probably would have picked misogyny or homophobia probably homophobia because that was at the time the thing I had dealt with the least um you know still use the f word but not in like a I wasn't using it in a disparaging way against anybody who was homosexual I was using it in that soft way which Mm -hmm. is the gen x kind of thing where you reappropriate these words into something else and so
1: I remember that yeah
0: and the, the f word the g word even it was like You know, it was also a way of saying, don't be stupid. What you didn't realize is that you were backhanding someone the entire time you're using the word. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, it was no question at this point in my life that I was going to, that I was going to choose the white supremacist one, to be honest with you, which probably is also, uh, an example of white supremacy. I thought that by telling you that I I was on. I was dating a girl. I started to date a girl, and uh, and was trying to understand. Really, what I was doing was I was trying to be in the know at the time. Um, and you, I, you probably remember my. I'm guessing. You remember oh, absolutely!
1: There's okay. the story about your date gone wrong.
0: Ugh. I mean, talk about the ones that got away. And like, I mean, thank God for her. I got a. She got away from. <laughs> ignoramus that i was at the time you know but i actually i thought you know what of all the submissions that they're gonna get this is probably one of the softer ones but it's it's the most true for my life so i'm just gonna share it anyway and hope that but that's probably another example of my internalized racism my wife yeah. yeah. um, mm-hmm. is is assuming that there's you know there's oh there's acceptable amounts of this and unacceptable amounts of yes yeah. yeah um but as I've shared with you personally before, is it's it's all about what is what do what am I aware of and what is still unconscious or subconscious, and it's only through working this kind of conversation and understanding and practice every day that those subconscious and unconscious things can really start to come to light for me. Um, and working with someone that challenges me the way that you do, uh, we do want to focus on the program in this hour, but okay. but I, I want to find out more about you, the stuff I don't know, because there's so much about you that I don't know. I mean, most of what makes you tick, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because I feel like now, now these days, I'm pretty consistent from like, I think the last date I was on, it's probably about the same, <laughs> the conversation was probably about as, as rich as the conversation we're having now. Um, I tend to be pretty consistent and I tend to put myself in situations where, I get to be this this person that I am right now. Um and it took a long time to to get there. A lot of it had to do with my transition from traditional theater to um well, the traditional theater that I had been practicing to um the traditional theater as it was developed in Brazil by um, Augusto Boal, which is theater of the oppressed and um Adopting theater of the oppressed as the the main framework of my of my of my theater creation it's changed everything uh, because it's 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 steeped in the principles of anti-oppression. So it's about liberating people, and that includes me as the practitioner, and includes everyone who's involved. And so the work itself has evolved from that. So where, you know, it was all about, you know, getting people to speak their their Shakespeare perfectly, you know, whatever it was that I was trying to do or trying to have people create well-made plays or to create well-made plays or be in well-made plays or be on Broadway, whatever it was that I was trying to do, um, that was all flipped. And the model became about how to make theater as, as accessible as possible to people, but always allow the human beings to be involved. And what's interesting is that, you know, it became about five years ago. um, This might be the fifth or sixth or seventh, I don't know, maybe seventh, our seventh main stage, uh, five of which were original works. And I may have mentioned this, but it got to, it's gotten to a place where in all of our original works the characters are all the name of the actor the the not that the actors are playing themselves but the the actor is the beginning point for the creation of the work so by the time we're performing it that that character is that actor um And they've been put in a costume and they've been, you know, fluffed up and made, you know, whatever to fit whatever style uh, the piece is taken on, whether it be kind of a dance 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 theater approach or musical or um, something in in blank verse, whatever it is, but it's it starts with the actor. And I think part of that is my just desire to see and instead of cramming people into these boxes as artist to really try to water every artist to get them to blossom to their fullest potential because that's gonna that's gonna be the best performance that actor or that artist is gonna be the best work that artist can make so it's selfish in some ways
0: when did art actually enter your life
1: uh you don't know this story this this is the mythology of 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 reggie i um i started writing there were artifacts of my writing from as early as i can remember so i was probably a prodigy when it came to my writing and i i actually wrote my first play when i was eight um but as far as being a a theater practitioner I was five and I would organize kids on my block. And I think they thought I was autistic. They thought, I think they maybe were humoring me thinking that I was like this autistic kid because I would place everyone, you know, almost pre-verbal and I would place people and then I would tell them what to say and I would tell them what to do and then they would do it. And then we would go on to the next scene. I was directing. And um, I didn't even know what that was. It was just in my bones, um, and you know, would would enlist people for talent shows. By the time I was seven, like I said, I wrote my first play when I was eight. Um, I was writing novellas soon after that. So I was I was always just sort of blindly pursuing um my vocation as a as a writer and a creative person just for as long as i can remember i think my mom tells stories about me making pictures on the wall with what i could pull from my diaper so yeah um yeah (laughs) so it's it's yeah so it was one of those one of those things and like i said you know people thought that that I had sort of mental challenges, but I was just what developed first was just not what normally develops first for a lot of people. So when you look back at yourself at that that young age in directing, were you
0: in the in your the young version of your mind, the young version of you, were you simply seeing that certain things fit certain places? Or were you were you seeing like pieces of coal that were yet to become diamonds and doing that. What what do you think you were really doing?
1: I don't know what I was really doing. (laughs) I just know what I was doing. (laughs) I know what I was doing. You know what I mean? I was like pre-analysis. So I just know what I I was. You know what I mean? It was the same, like I would would stack bricks and make like a maze out of bricks and then like, um, you know, get the grasshopper and put the grasshopper in the, in the maze of bricks. Like I was creating environments for, to be occupied by people or by, by beings. Yeah, I couldn't, I, wouldn't, I don't know what was really going on there. This, I'm sure that, um, you know, the, you know, theorist will, will argue about it after my death. <laughs> but, um, Yeah. So I, yeah, I was just doing what I was doing and, and like the feel of it was just like doing like moving stuff around. Um, And I, and I've, and I, with, with video, like I do videos and I've, and I've seen myself on film and I've seen like outtakes of things and I've seen myself uh, in that space and I can't tell you, I just, I turn into a, I look like a mannequin. Like everything that that would tell you that there was a like a person that's present goes away for a second, and then when I come back, it like the answers are there. So yeah, I don't know. I still don't know what's happening when I'm in that space, mm. but um, when I come out of it, there's stuff. I remember
0: when I was doing music. Um, I had written like 200 songs before I learned to play the guitar and really learned to sing properly. Um, And it started with poetry and that kind of quickly became songs. And some of them were me trying to say something and I knew what I wanted to say. And other times my hand was just doing it. And it was, and that was my first experience with the divine element that is creation, that is creativity. Um, Kind of uh, what you're saying kind of speaks to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know, it needs to look like a bug light. I don't know why. It just needs to look like a bu- bug light. That's the kind of thing that will um, come to me when I when I come out of these moments. And then it's not until I see it, often it's not until I see things years later after they've been recorded or after they've been um, documented in some way and I go back and I see them that I can even in- enjoy them as a piece. There's just, I'm so far from Thinking of it in that way when I'm in in the process, but it happens very quickly. Like I mean, you I mean you you know that yesterday I you know I, I over the last couple of days I was interviewing the actors and sent the actors these pieces and they've been the actors have been waiting for their lines <laughs> and the the play is next week and it's sort of like they just today was the day that it that it came to me what those lines would be. And that's generally the way that I work. Um, I will think about things for years and then sit down and do it.
0: Hmm. So going back to the seven-year-old directing and putting grasshoppers in mazes, were mm-hmm. what was your um, what was your home like? Who was who was teaching you? Who were your parents? Your parental figures? Um, yeah. and did they fan those flames of creativity or was it just well that's what reg is doing
1: <laughs> i love this because that's a great question did they fan those flames obviously were they intending to i don't know but my household was pretty chaotic um my household was pretty chaotic like we weren't sure if we were gonna get like thrown out or like a lot of times we didn't have utilities um i did a fair amount of stuff by um you know like those little oil lamps um, my mom had so,
0: kerosene lamps is that what they
1: were yeah maybe they were kerosene but they were like lamp- they were like li- little yeah. lamps with a little wick in them yeah so yeah. there was a fair amount of that and and kerosene heaters as well I'm um, going on in my house because we were always late on bills, and um, my household was pretty volatile. I tell you know, it's so interesting because I tell stories about my family and 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 I think like my like my fa- my, my my dad um, h- hustled. He hustled. I'll say that. he hustled. Um, and that hustle revolved it involved him, you know, using his body. And so that was like that. That was the kind of energy that was in my household when I was when I was young, and that came with a lot of. So there were there were criminal elements around that as well. So that was also in my household. So yeah, that was fanning the flames, <laughs> definitely, um, because I I think that the kind of survival um, mentality that was in my household and the creativity that was required to survive in my household. And it's probably something that was passed down for many, many generations. Um, That was creativity, just being alive was required a great amount of creativity. So I'm going to say yes. Um, I hope that gives like paints a picture without throwing my folks under the bus. Um, Without throwing them under the bus of what like my home life was like, I think both my mother and father did have some artistic leanings my father especially um, as a visual artist um my mother claims to have some musical abilities but by the time i got to know her she had left that behind so um you know i think that some of it was handed down i think there's like I think it goes way back. I think creativity is something like i, I found out recently. Um, I've been doing my um, ancestry, and I found—I I found out that there's like a, a, like Shakespeare's a first cousin like ten times removed. So I think it's something that goes way, way back. Um, so, yeah, it was fanned
0: mm.
1: intentionally. I don't know, but it was fanned.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like some of it was actually. Escapism um, and and the need possibly to really pour all of oneself into that um, and and arguably over the course of time that made your art good uh, because of yeah. the, the dedication you were pouring
1: into it probably I think I think so. I mean I, I hope it's people tell me that it's good like I said I really often don't even i can 't even um, see it for a long time i I understand that what i 'm what i 'm helping to devise is cohesive and I understand what 's holding it together but i it's it, it, for me it remains those disparate parts for a long time and I think that that 's kind of necessary it 's like when you 're driving like you're driving i'm in i 'm in the moment driving i 'm not trying to see the whole road i 'm not trying to see the map of the world i'm just trying to see the the cars in front of me and behind me so i think creativity for me has an element of that like just being very in the moment keeping my eye on the road making sure that i don't crash the car uh to get us all home safe and then later on i can watch you know a video like the like the you know the whatever like what is it that the officers are supposed to wear they're supposed to wear those like or cam the body cam, Dashboard, cam. The, like the body gets like the body cam i get to go back and look at the body cam of whatever was happening and enjoy it yeah
0: and then before you know it if you're like okay i went somewhere and came back i don't remember any of it
1: you know i i, I or like or i remember it like i remember it in the sinews mm. but i don't remember the i like i'm not thinking about it as the whole body but when i do finally get to see the whole body often i remember i i i I enjoy the experience. And I, and I find myself moved by stuff that I make. Like, wow, what an experience that must have been for the audience to be in, you know, I, get, I, have, I, get, I find myself having that experience. Wow. And also a lot of admiration for the actors because I know when the actors are in the process that they don't see 10 feet ahead of them. And often it's because 10 feet ahead of them doesn't exist
0: yeah you can it's so much of it is a is a i mean for me anyway you put all this preparation into it but once but but really doing it is it's all a feeling like you can feel when you're when things are going and they're going right and then you can feel when oh my bull meter just went off what was i doing there yeah um
1: yeah 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 absolutely
0: so go ahead and, then,
1: and yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and then also there's my ridiculous meter as well, which every, every now and then that kicks in and I discover like some of the richest stuff comes when I allow my ridiculous meter to just go off the charts. Um, like I, you know, I, I, I may have told this story we did a production. Um, a couple of years ago where my ridiculous meter went off and I was like, let's kick the audience out of the theater at the end of the play. And it ended up being this incredibly moving moment for the audience. People were just, oh, so moved. So, so moved by it because they got to experience something that um, the organizers and activists who were part of the early civil rights movement had to experience all the time. And that was having like the sort of like the resources that they had to organize pulled out from under them. And it started as kind of like a, kind of as a, as a joke. Like we can't actually kick the audience out of the theater, can we? Can we have a play without a curtain call? And then of course it ended up, of course we can have, we can do that. And then they, we got the Renee Otto Award for political theater for the, for the piece, you know. So that's the kind of thing that, um, yeah. So there's the bull meter, but then there's also the ridiculous meter. There's the, the thing that, um, The ideas that you want to reject because they just seem too far-fetched.
0: I want to ask you, um, you know, so when I was a kid, I was an only child until I was 10. And only children, one of the primary characteristics is independence. Eldest siblings, one of the primary characteristics is independence. So I kind of have double doses of that, I felt like. Mm -hmm. But being an only child, not having someone to play with all the time, I invented, my creativity was always working. Now, but you had brothers and sisters. Yes. You had a,
1: a yeah, yeah. But, um, like I was, I, I, I died. I had, I had a a death, you know, I died. I had a a kind of a crib death experience. They had to rush me to a hospital. I'd turned blue. I was, I was expiring and then I expired and um, then I was revived. So I was in my house. I was the, I was the, I was the baby that died. So you kind of, it's kind of like being an only child because no one wanted to come near me because they thought I was fragile. Um, And of course you've, you've not had the the pleasure of seeing me in person, but I'm not fragile. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not fragile at all. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost seven feet tall and I'm not fragile. But okay,
0: I, for real, are you almost seven feet tall?
1: I'm six eight.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Meeting you for the first time is going to be an experience. All right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. And people do have that when the people do meet me, that's a, they're a little blown away because they don't expect I'm the tallest people that a lot of people um, will ever meet. So the fact that I was this kind of like the 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 I came up for the first couple of years. And it was a little bit of a death watch. It was a little bit like, like living at a, an extended wake because nobody knew when I was actually going to go. And so by the time I was conscious, conscious I think uh, I, had ex- I had lived uh, those years as an only child. I, I couldn't play. My brothers couldn't play with me. You know, if they got too close to me, my mother would scream at them. You know, because they, she thought they were going to kill me. They, she thought something was going to happen, and I was going to fall, or I was going to get tired, or something. So I think that what you're talking about happened for me because of those, those experiences. And my brother, you know, my brothers tell all these weird stories, like the aliens came and got me. They, you know, they just the the mythology that that builds up around an event like that in a household, um, all of that had been kind of created around, around me. So as far as they were concerned, you know, I was, I was, I was Jesus, (laughs) you know, I was like, you know, I was Lazarus. Um, so yeah. Youngest as well. Youngest as well.
0: Youngest of how many? Of
1: three in my household, and then you know later on there were there were other kids. My dad had uh, two other kids, in with other families, but in that in my household, I was the youngest of three boys.
0: That's interesting because oftentimes, with obviously you being an exception, oftentimes the youngest is the one where the parents have, like they're just like you know what they'll figure it out. We we our first child we were hypochondriacs about everything they figured out like stuff happens to kids you're an exception yeah yeah (laughs) having your kid almost die or die and come back is yeah
1: Yeah. and it probably had something to do with that they probably were being a little lax and maybe it left me alone or something but yeah when did your height start to show itself
0: Mm, probably
1: when i was 13 14 puberty Ish, I sprung up suddenly. I was six feet tall, and then I wouldn't stop. So in that, in that next several years, I grew another eight inches. When I think people had thought I was done growing, but I kept going.
0: Uh, taller than your parents? Oh yes. Okay. You know what's interesting is I, I uh, you know, I'm five six. So when I see someone that's really tall, it's it's noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were there were like twice that I was in Penn station and I remember seeing a really tall person and I wonder if it was you now
1: like <laughs> that oh that's fun that's that's really fun and it could have been who knows yeah. was I in handcuffs that's happened too. that's happened <laughs> okay that's happened though in penn station <laughs> yeah, I was I was actually once I was grading my students. Uh, I was great. I was I was teaching a Shakespeare class in uh, at, in New Jersey in Montclair and I had my paper spread out all over the place. And these officers were like, we need to see your ticket. And I'm like, do you see this? You know, I was like showing them. Do you see? And and they said, please stand up. And I was I was done. I was like, here, I basically stood up turning my back and offering them my wrist. I was just not I wasn't I was no. And I was thinking, I'll also get the day off. So, you know, hey, I, I can do this.
0: As, you know, that that resignation is, and how that's just a normal part of the Black American life, it's one of those, it's getting me choked up again, like the other mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. It's just not, that's so messed up. Mm-hmm. So you're many things. And writing the program, a 12-step recovery program, brings into play what you had shared, was one of, um, was an example of one of five recovery groups that you're in. Is that right? Did I remember that correctly? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm sure that your household, that situation lended to creativity. It also lended to probably, uh, issues that you're going to have to deal with. And, um, Mm -hmm. so when did, when did the recovery become a part of your life?
1: Um, I, it's so interesting because I probably have been like Tio when, when, when anti-oppression work came into my life, that was probably like my, that was like my, my body going, do this thing because you need this right now. Um, I didn't realize that I, I was the person who probably needed the anti-oppression work more than anybody that I had, was offering it to. Like, like my students are, fairly privileged you know young people so but i but i end up teaching this work to them but i i feel like i get the most out of it so that's been over 10 years now that's been uh, 12 years now that i've been immersed in anti-oppression theater work and then i guess going on three years now i've been formally part of uh recovery fellowships and um, interestingly, it was so close to, the, it felt, it was so close to the, to the anti-oppression work that it didn't even feel like, um, it doesn't feel different, it didn't feel different to me than my theater practice. So it just, and in fact, it was folded. The 12 step principles were folded into my anti-oppression practice almost immediately and so, not, to me, just it's it's just follows that I would be helping to devise a piece that uses those those principles or finds a way to bring an audience into an experience of of twelve step recovery. Um, and it's beyond that too, because there's now also there's you know there's clinical work that go that's that's included as well. Um, and I'd interestingly read a book called Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome that talked about this, the fact that African-Americans walk around with this low level um, anxiety, like all constantly under siege. You're like constantly in a war zone. Like I walk down the street and when I see a police officer, I, I think, I hope they don't shoot me. I think, I hope they don't shoot me. It's the smallest little thought, but to have that thought five, six times a week, is a lot so um so all of those things kind of coming to a head at once was i think both like overwhelming as a creative person like wow what a because it's like all for me it's inform- it's in its input it's just input like listening to i listen to hundreds of stories um a month from people who are in 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 recovery that's all like input and i also think that by getting to it this late i've stored up a lot of stuff so i think that there is when you talk about you know when i talk about like what's stored in the dna for me it's like oh when i suddenly wasn't you know caught up in all these compulsive behaviors Like I could actually feel, like I could sense, oh, that's what that connection feels like. Like I could feel that connection and I could um, tap into some things around me. Like I was able to pick up on what like animal movements and like, oh, that's what's going on there. So I think that we do have these abilities that just get dampered down because of, first of all, the world needs us to be not self-sufficient so we certainly we don't want a a race of people who can like make things materialize right but i think that there to some extent we have always been able to make things materialize be it like just grabbing stuff with our hands and making it happen because that was how for most of the existence of human beings we've had to live so yeah that was that was the simple answer to the the recovery question i think it was it's been a long. It's been a long recovery. I think being a theater artist, being a creative person, is part has been part of my recovery for my entire life. So, that's the that's the short answer.
0: Talking about the, the recovery, um, did you get to a point where, like a lot of people do with recovery, where they just like hit a bottom of sorts, and that's what what led you to that? But yeah, did, was there a bottom of sorts that said? I need, I need to go to recovery.
1: There was a bottom, but I didn't, I didn't that's, that's not how I found my way into recovery. Um, it was divine that I found my way into recovery. It was divine intervention. I was doing that same piece, the one where the audience got kicked out of the theater. And um, because of that, someone thought that I might be interested in a fellowship that was a program related to the theme of that play and it was probably i mean i think literally you know god stuck their hand up that person's butt and you know had them say those words because i don't think they even knew what they were doing when they told me about that program because they didn't know anything about me so they certainly didn't know how appropriate that program would have been for me and i i went and checked it out and i was like oh this is for me and from that introduction to recovery as a process at all, I became aware of other programs and other compulsive behaviors because they say it's a little bit like whack-a-mole. You start dealing with one thing and then another one pops up and then another one pops up. And so that was happening for me. And in fact, things that weren't big issues, or at least I didn't think of as big issues went completely out of control. And all of this is the subject is part of, there's a, there's a book on, on it. Um, that I that I've written that's that is in search of a publisher. So
0: um,
1: it's called C- uh, Crazy Queer Black Radical Atheist Guide to Recovery, and it tr- it charts my two year journey um, through recovery to like a real you know discovery, and it's and it's the, and it's the full circle that you're kind of talking about where. Mm-hmm. Uh, the realization that i needed all of those experiences without all of them the magic wouldn't would not have happened
0: what is your artistic vision
1: <laughs> to be honest would,
0: with you i would not know how to answer that if someone asked me
1: oh but you know what's beautiful though is that i do actually have a, an artistic vision um i mean i think you're you're actually part of that artistic vision but the, this like to to shift the way we, to, to, to make theater something that like everyone loves again, everyone loves again. Like the way people love music, the way people love television, to make theater something that everyone loves again. And to have it be a really spiritual experience for people, like you know you have to go the way people used to know they had to go to church, except not in a punitive way, (laughs) but in a like, like to be complete. Um, And I think that that's kind of, I think that's been working so far. I think the people that come and see our stuff never want to leave.
0: What are you hoping that people that come witness and be a part of, one or more times, the program. What are you hoping that the average person walks away from? What what kind of conversations do you hope they're having? What kind of changes do you hope they're going through?
1: The simple answer is I hope that everybody who comes to see this gets a taste of what recovery could be like and and finds their way into it. Whatever that means for them. I wanna pull a card for you. Sure. Cause we couldn't have this, 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 this doesn't work without magic. There's gotta be some magic, right? This is interesting. It's the pawn of coins. I think it's, you know, in terms of the the question that you asked, like what will come of this? To me, this is like, if this play is um, a very shrewd, smart, charismatic, person who's given just enough resources to launch themselves, that this person will take that coin and turn it into this beautiful, abundant garden. That's what I see. Somebody who has already has their eye on the prize. It's the beginning of um, abundance.